And welcome to Pod Pod. My name is Rihanna Dillon. I'm your host, and I am joined by Adam Shepherd, editor of Pod Pod, and Matt Hill, who runs a production company, Rethink Audio, and is the co-founder of the British Podcast Awards. So, not really a big deal in any capacity in the podcast world. <laughs> Hello, both. Lovely to see you again. Good to see you, Rihanna. Hello, Rihanna. So, it has been a pretty wild week in the world of politics. This week, we are very much delving into the world of news and political podcasts because we have a very impressive guest. He worked as Blair's spokesman and campaign director. He has been communications director for Downing Street. It is, of course, Alistair Campbell, who will be talking all about his podcast with Rory Stewart. The rest is politics. Before we get into everything that we talked about with Alistair Campbell and we did talk about pretty much everything what is going on in the world of podcasts at the moment the biggest news of the week in the world of podcasting is of course the launch of podpod.com <laughs> which will be the website for this podcast and will be your source for everything to do with podcasting and the podcast industry. We are going to have industry news. And last week I was at the IAB podcast upfronts and we've got some really juicy nuggets that came out of that. We've got outstanding features on the politics of co-hosting how to use podcasts as a tool for promoting live events, the relationships between podcasting and mental health, all that and much, much more. So you can find that all at podpod.com. So Matt, from your perspective, what are you hoping to get out of podpod.com? Well, from my two perspectives, I suppose, mm. I think, first of all, from the British Podcast Awards side, I think it's really interesting. So a little bit of background. Pod Pod is made by Haymarket. Haymarket acquired the British Podcast Awards earlier this year. And that really was the signal that Haymarket were really serious about the podcast industry and getting into it so in a way Haymarket are my bosses right now so obviously <laughs> I love PodPod I love everything about PodPod <laughs> but I also am really excited about PodPod because you know we've built over the last five or six years a reputation for being a, a, the big tent of the podcast industry that everyone big and small all the players whether you're making things in your house or in an office or wherever you are and however big your company or um, operation is there's a place for you at the awards and I think that's the same message that goes through PodPod as well that the stories that Adam and the team will be covering affect all of us and they might get into the minutiae and there might be stuff about reach and about growth and all those things but there'll also be stuff about culture and development and I think that's part of what's really fun about what we're doing here. So Adam earlier you did something very industry and you mentioned something that some people will have no idea what it is which is upfronts what is that is it kind of <laughs> festival or something? I guess in a way, the IAB, which is the Internet Advertising Bureau, run a series of short one-day conferences, effectively, called the Digital Upfronts, which is basically an opportunity for players in specific digital advertising spaces to showcase what they've been working on, what they've got coming up. Uh, so they've also done digital upfronts for gaming, for metaverse-related things. They're doing one for YouTube. And the podcast one featured luminaries such as the likes of Wondery, Acast, Audio Boom, Fresh Air, and 
various industry people sharing what they've got going on and how the advertising industry can interact with the wonderful world of podcasting. And I saw you tweeting a bit about Pod Save UK, Adam. Yes, this was another really exciting launch from Crooked Media, who are the brains behind Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. They are expanding into a UK focused show with Pod Save the UK. Sadly, Pod Save the King was already taken, <laughs> uh, but Pod Save the UK is a new show that is being fronted by the wonderful Nish Kumar. Oh, that's so interesting. Who is no stranger to the world of podcasting. And yeah, a, a fabulous, fabulous comedian. So that'll be launching in early 2023. So Nish Kumar is known also for the MASH report. So he is no stranger to political commentary. Mm. So is the idea with Pod Save America that they are their former aides, right? So how is this? How do you envision this is going to be a bit different, Matt? Yeah, so the original Pod Save America team were Obama aides, and so they know how the the sausage was made, as it were. But they're not wholly aligned to the Democrats, I think is always worth saying. Their pitch is more progressives, so it's wider than the Democrats. Uh, and I think, I suspect they will take a similar tack in the UK as well. So you'll be looking at making sure that they'll be looking at the wider progressive movement um, wherever that falls. It, you know, it's going to be a talking shop. I think we'll expect to see a bit of that, a bit of that kind of um, John Oliver style kind of like, what can we do with this? How can we take this on to another stage? More publicity stunts, that kind of thing, I think. Yeah. And one of the really interesting links, I think, between Pod Save America in particular and the rest is politics is that they've both got that edge of having been on the inside from a political perspective. Campbell, obviously a longtime kind of new Labour power player, Roy Stewart, ex-Conservative minister. They've both got that real insight from being on the ground, making these kinds of big decisions and being involved in the strategy. And that's something that has really given Pod Save America uh, a big edge and certainly seems to be a large part of the, the popularity of the rest of politics as well. So now we have teased Alistair Campbell, as in we've teased him to you, we haven't just <laughs> sat and We weren't sat in the him. studio yeah. tickling him. <laughs> I think it's time to have him on. So here is co-host of The Rest is Politics, Alistair Campbell. <laughs> Alistair Campbell, welcome to Pod Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. How are you, Rihanna? Oh, good. I'm very excited to have you on, actually. So I didn't realise, with the rest is politics, that it was actually a Twitter poll which decided your fate. Is that right? Sort of. It wasn't Twitter so much as Instagram, actually. Oh, gosh, it's much trendier. Um, a bit of Twitter and a bit of Instagram. But it started out with a guy called Tony Pasta who is a fellow Burnley fan, and I've known for years going to Burnley games, and he works for Goalhanger, Gary Lineker's production company. And they'd been doing The Rest is History very successfully. And he approached me and said, look, we think we'd like to do one called The Rest is Politics. We think it should be you plus a Tory. And I said, well, there's a bit of a problem with that, Tony. I don't really like Tories very much. <laughs> I've spent most of my life trying to kind of, you know, put them out of business. So they then said, oh, well, what about doing it with Dominic Cummings? And I said, mm, not sure that would work. But we had a, I did have a chat with Dominic Cummings about it. I think we both agreed, actually, that it'd be very, very interesting for a couple of weeks. And then I think we'd sort of, you know, 
I think you'd have to have security there and police and it would get very, very <laughs> difficult. Um, so that, anyway, so I, I'd done a podcast before with my daughter and I'd quite enjoyed it, but it sort of became a little bit of a bind because people were expecting it at a certain time every week. And so I wasn't 100% convinced. But then I said, I did a, an Instagram live and a Twitter thing where I basically said, if I was doing a podcast with a Tory, who do you think it should be? And an awful lot of people said Rory Stewart. So I thought, that's interesting. Um, there's obviously something going on here. There are lots of other names, but you know, if I were to say there was one dominant name, mm-hmm. it was definitely Rory Stewart. I knew he was working abroad because I'd heard him on the radio talking about something. So I phoned him up and I said, what do you think? And he said, yeah, that sounds really good fun. And away we went. So just to go back to the podcast that you did with your daughter and you said you really liked it, what was it about the kind of art of podcasting that you enjoyed that had been different from something that you'd done before? It was, I mean, doing it with Grace was good fun. Um, And we called it football, feminism and everything in between. Football, because that's my passion. Feminism, because that's hers. And But it was really just an excuse to talk about anything. Mm. And, we, and it was more interview-based. We got some, you know, good people on there. And But I th- what I like about it, I think what I like about it is that there are kind of no rules. There are rules, because you set your own. But there are no rules being set by anybody else. Um, it's funny, last night, for example, give you an example. Last night I was on the BBC newscast. We were chatting away about leadership and trust and quarteng and all that, and much the same stuff that we've been talking about on The Rest is Politics. But it was interesting how, for example, when I said something like, um, so then Quateng gets on a plane, and they say, the Chancellor, or then I'd say, and then they sack Tom Scholar, the permanent secretary at the Treasury. And I completely get that, because they're, you know, it's a different sort of medium. And I think when we're talking, we... Look, I, I'm a trained journalist, and I like, but I, I don't feel the need to be, you know, speaking like a journalist. I speak like however I want to speak, and and I think the other thing I like is the, and we got this definitely. Grace and I both got this when we were doing our podcast, and we're getting it in spades now because of the numbers that are listening to the rest is politics. It's this sense of the conversation doesn't end when the podcast does. Mm. You know, when I'm walking around the place, I've had, I get more people at the moment talking to me about this than anything media-wise that I've ever done. Really? By a long way, by That's a long way. If I was, say, on, you know, BBC News or Sky News or Good Morning Britain or something like that, I'd go and do it, and then I'd be wandering around London during the day, and you might get three or four people will say, oh, I saw you on the telly this morning, or mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. With this, it's honestly been... And, and Rory's getting the same even in Jordan. He's based in Jordan. He's, he's got people in Jordan yeah. saying I was in Dublin. I was doing a speech in Dublin on Tuesday. And I had two people in the airport lounge. I had uh, a guy, as I was checking in to the Radisson Blue Hotel, I'm standing there at this desk checking in. The guy at the next desk says, I'm loving your podcast. Irish guy. That is happening all the time. It's really, really quite overwhelming. That's really interesting. So were you expecting your listener base to be as broad? Who were you initially trying to speak to and how has that kind of been enhanced through the podcast? I mean, when it started, I, I was a little bit in suck it and see sort of mode. I want, Look, I'm very, very competitive. I wanted it to do well. If I do anything, I want it to go well. One of the first things we had to kind of fix was the fact that Rory and I both travel a lot and Rory's living in a different part of the world. 
you know, what was important was, was getting decent technology so that the sound quality would be very good. And I remember Jack, who works for the Goalhanger, saying, you know, if you, get, if you start a podcast, the sound has got to be really, really good. And that was, you know, that's something I hadn't maybe thought about when Grace and I were doing it and we're just sort of quite often using our phones and what have you. And then I think that what I was assuming was that it would be people who would broadly be in that kind of centre ground of politics. Me, left of centre, Rory, right of centre, but me identified as being very kind of new Labour, not part of the whole Corbyn thing, and Rory Stewart very much kind of on the One Nation Tory mm. and nothing to do with the Johnson stuff. And then I think that's how it's really started. And then I think a lot of it became, there is, there is quite a good kind of, chemistry there we're, we're similar but we're also different but I didn't have any expectations in terms of the numbers I, d I didn't I didn't sort of say to myself you know success would mean a or b or c I just didn't think of it in those terms I wanted to see how it went to be honest at the back of my mind I was thinking I'll, I'll know very quickly whether I'm going to enjoy this or not if either of us had felt after a month or so do you know what this is proven to be a bit of a hassle and we can't fit the time in and I don't think either of us would have had a problem with saying let's call it a day but it became a successful pretty much immediately and has been growing ever since. I just had a message through today that this week has been the highest yet. And it was the same last week and it was the same week before. So that's you're growing week on week. So it's nothing to yeah. do necessarily with what's happening in the news. It might be to do with that. I, I think people are at the moment particularly kind of engaged and fascinated by the sort of horror show, mm. the horror show of Johnson, horror show of trust. There's so much interesting stuff happening around the world. And I think the other thing, I talked about there being no rules, as it were, no kind of news gathering rules for what we do. Rory and I have both got a lot of interest in the world outside the UK. And, you know, so for example, last week we had a long discussion about Yemen. And that came because a guy that I used to work with who's currently working in Yemen, basically sent me a long email telling me what was happening in Yemen, where he now works with the World Food Programme. And I thought, well, Rory knows about Yemen as well. I'm thinking, you know, when was the last time I read anything about Yemen in one of our newspapers or heard anything about Yemen on one of our main broadcast channels? So we had a discussion about, about Yemen. I'll tell you one thing that really surprised me. We've done a few interviews now, mm -hmm. and most of them are just Rory and I talking, but we've done a few interviews. The interview we did with the Albanian Prime Minister, Eddie Rama, of whom most of our listeners had probably never heard, okay? But the numbers were extraordinary. And again, that must be word of mouth. Mm. That must be people who are listening to it and then saying to them, God, you should listen to this one. It's really quite interesting. Mm -hmm. We've had no marketing budget. We've had, you know, I mean, I'm, pro I'm quite good at plugging stuff. I do plug away merrily. I'm <laughs> teaching Rory how to plug. Um, but we've had no real push on it. We have these great little films that the Rest is Politics team make that we promote on social media, but there's no advertising budget, none of that. So we are totally reliant on people coming to it and staying with it and then spreading the word. And, and it seems to be working. You've got this kind of brilliant, I think it's friendly, rivalry with the news agents, Mateless and Sopel and Goodall. You mean you, you're the runners up, we call them. <laughs> I mean, it's so entertaining, genuinely, just, <laughs> just that kind of really niche joke. But do you think that you're both helping each other in the world of political podcasts in that people will not choose one or the other, but they'll actually come to both because you're kind of helping to pique an interest? 
Well, they can't be going to both because we only do two a week and they do five a week and we're still ahead of them in the charts. So if you think about the maths of that, there are obviously a lot of people listening to ours not listening to theirs. But, you know, I wish them well. I know all three of them well. And Emily and John, and I think Lewis is terrific. I think he's, I think he's just a very good journalist. I think they're all good journalists. No, I think it's great. When I, when I looked, I mean, I looked this morning, you know, look, have a quick sneaky look at the charts. We were number one, they were number two. And I'm thinking, this is Britain right two essentially political podcasts are the number one and number two in the uk chart at the moment i mean i think that's great when you think that one of the complaints that people like me and our generation has is oh my god you know why aren't people more interested in the things that matter and less interested in the things that don't like kim bloody kardashian or whatever now that celebrity stuff i'm not saying that that isn't important to an awful lot of people and it still goes on but I think the fact that this is happening is is really good. And I think it shows that there's an interest. I think it shows that people want to be informed. And I think it shows that they feel they're not necessarily getting that from what, you know, I hate the phrase mainstream media because it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Mm. But I think people feel now that newspapers are not really newspapers. I think they do feel that with a lot of broadcast media that it, it almost feels like you're watching people inside a straitjacket a lot of the time. And I don't actually feel, you know, that John and Emily and Lewis, I don't think that they've become different sort of journalists. Mm -hmm. I just think they express themselves in a slightly different way. But I think they're very different to what we do. I think, I think they are still basically journalists, whereas I think Rory and I both see ourselves as people who are trying to kind of bring together both what we do now what we know from what we've done, particularly in politics itself, and, you know, the bit of journalistic rigour. Um, but we, but it's so nice not having to think. So like the other day, for example, we did one and in the introduction said we're going to talk about this and this and this and this. And then at the end, I realised we hadn't talked about one of the thises. So should we, ah, oh, well, so, you know, so what? <laughs> Move on. Yeah. It sort of doesn't matter that much. Yeah. We've got an interview coming up actually with Dino Sophos, who produces news agents, and it's really interesting. We call him the director of the runners up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll take that title gladly. Do you think that it, this whole idea of these political podcasts being top of the charts each week, do you think that's reflecting a shift within Westminster or a podcast becoming more popular? Is that how people are communicating within Westminster as well as getting news outside of it? There's no doubt that a lot of MPs listen to us because we get feedback from them, a lot of diplomats and a lot of civil servants and so forth. The stuff that I really enjoy is when it becomes apparent, as it does a lot just going around the place, that so-called, quotes ordinary people are listening a lot. But, you know, do most MPs still have the kind of default position of going downstairs and turning the radio on and putting the Today programme on? I think probably. Mm. But has that diminished a bit? I think it probably has. Do MPs read newspapers in the way that they did? I think they probably read more newspapers than the members of the public, but I think they probably have declined in that as well. Mm. The other thing I've noticed is, is that people have their own listening habits and they develop them. So you get people who say, oh, I love it because my, my train journey every day is 45 minutes. You get other people who are saying, like, you know, I've got this whole stash of podcasts in my car 
guys said to me the other day, I'm really looking forward to my next long drive because mm. I can just listen to a few back to back. You know, you wouldn't do that with newspapers. You wouldn't say, oh, I'll stack up a week's worth of the Financial Times and go for a long train ride. But that, the whole point of that is because newspapers are daily and you're getting that news daily and the next day that's already out of date and you would imagine mm. the same with a regular podcast. So how does that translate then if people are kind of stacking them up and you're talking about news that happened two months ago? I think because although we do talk about news, I think I go back to the point I made about the difference between us and the news agents is that this bit about we do, I think we both of us do have observations and stories to tell that are... You know, almost the, the, the ones, the stuff that's set in the past, I think, but trying to indi- have a discussion about the future. So, you know, I, you've got to be careful about, I hate it when I find myself, you know, or remember that time when, or, but, you know, sometimes it's that stuff that I think people will go back to and listen. So part of this growth that we're seeing, according to the people who look at the data, is it's people who, who have come to us late and are now going back and listening to earlier stuff, often quite randomly. Interesting. When you go on and you look at the stuff and it tells you what we're talking about on a particular episode and they'll go back and say, so I had, I had an email the other day from a guy who said he'd gone back and listened to that time when we were talking a lot about the Northern Ireland Protocol, for example. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a resource there that people can use for whether it's for entertainment, whether to pass the time on a drive. I had a fantastic, I was so chuffed about this, but I had an email this morning from a, a politics teacher who'd been at our show in Blackpool and he said he'd come back and was talking about it and he said he couldn't believe the enthusiasm amongst these kids who are studying politics about wanting to talk about it so he's trying to take them to our next live show so that kind of thing is just like i don't think you'd get that by writing a newspaper column no. in the same way we spoke to jess phillips recently on podcast a24 and she is a politician an mp she has her own podcast which is, I think, very successful because she comes across as very authentic on it and she's not necessarily talking about politics. Mm. When you were running comms for Number 10, would you have let an MP have their own podcast that kind of was exposing and made them vulnerable? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I know we, I had a reputation for sort of trying to keep everything under control, but that didn't mean that you stopped people trying to communicate in innovative and different ways. You know, it's like, for example, David Lammy has his LBC show. Mm-hmm. And you could argue the same, that, well, isn't that, doesn't that mean he, there might be occasions when he's having to say things that cause the Labour Party difficulty? But, you know, if you're a kind of decent, professional, clever, sensible politician, you can have that authenticity without feeling that every time you open your mouth, you're going to cause trouble for your own side. I get this because, of course, you didn't even have social media when I was doing the job. Would I have, you know, welcomed every MP having having their own Twitter account, having their own Instagram account. Well, I think in the early days, I'd have been a bit kind of worried about it. But then I think as long as they are clear what the overall strategic message is, then they ought to be able to communicate within that. Mm. Um, So no, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. Another thing that Jess said, actually, was when we asked her, like, who her dream podcast partner would be, she said Boris Johnson, I guess, because that would have been fairly explosive and entertaining for listeners. Would, th- was, would that be so? <laughs> oh, I wish everyone could see your face right now. So that's a no from you on Boris coming on your podcast. No, listen, I wouldn't mind him having him on as an interviewee. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do a podcast with him. No, absolutely not. The thing I'll say about Rory Stewart, it's like this TV show I'm doing at the moment with Saeed Avasi. I can't work with people that I don't have at least some respect for. Right. I've got no respect for Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. literally none. 
you know, I, I, I hesitate to to use Nicola Sturgeon's word detest, but I, I I don't I don't I'm enjoying the fact that at the moment I don't have to think about him or talk about yeah. him too much. Well, let's move swiftly on from Boris then. We call him Johnson, Rihanna. We don't call him <laughs> Boris. We call him Rihanna Johnson. I call him Thank a lot you. of things. Because you've both kind of been in Westminster, you and Rory, do you try and maintain objectivity when you're doing the podcast or is the whole point of doing it the complete opposite that you can do and say whatever you want and it doesn't matter about which side or you just say what you genuinely think? Well, we have this sort of motto if we agree agree and if we disagree disagree agreeably and we've had a couple of times when, when it's got quite you know spiky but I think even when we're talking about our opponents I think we try to be reasonable I'm prone to look I, I know this is my background is the Daily Mirror when Mrs Thatcher was Prime Minister and my whole approach in political campaigning is you go hard for your opponents but I do try to be I think I'm more reasonable on the podcast than I am maybe when I'm one-on-one, say, with, you know, a Nigel Farage or a John Redwood or an Ian Duncan Smith. And I think that's because Rory is very reasonable. Although I think he can be pretty tough. I've noticed his hackles rise pretty much every time that the subject of the SNP comes up. I think he talks about the left in a kind of homogenous way that I will usually give a label to the right, Mm. you know, the libertarian right, the hard right, the far right. You know, I would put him on the right... But I wouldn't lump him in with, you know, Farage or, or Johnson. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think we try to be... Objective is probably the wrong word. What we try to do is to be fair, but not hide our own views. So something happened recently where you and Rory were actually in a room together recording your podcast, which happens very, very rarely, as you kind of pointed out. Rory lives on a different continent. How do you find, first of all, recording on Zoom? Does that give you a bit more flexibility or is it actually quite challenging to have a decent conversation with all the kind of the stops and starts that technology affords? Do you know what? The worst we had with the technology was when I was in Edinburgh. <laughs> That's where I am right now. Are you? Well, honestly, I was, in a, I was in a hotel in Edinburgh. The Wi-Fi was just an absolute nightmare. Are we in the, so, same, you know. we in the same hotel? <laughs> The week before, I'd been in, in the Ivory Coast. Oh, really? And it was much better there. And it was in, in a little guest house. And it was absolutely fine. That I'm in Edinburgh. <laughs> it was a total disaster. Um, do you know what? I've, I think at the start, I felt it would be a real, a real obstacle and a handicap to effective, clear conversation. But I think actually it works to our benefit because one of the things I think people like about our podcast is we don't talk over each other. At least if we do, it's very rare. Mm. We don't talk at the same time. And I think that's because we can see each other, but we know that the audience can't see us. So I can indicate to Rory that I want to cut in, or he can indicate to me that he wants to cut in. And likewise, when we've had guests, so for example, I mentioned uh, Eddie Rama, and when we did Tony Blair, and when we did Keir Starmer, um, I was in the room with them, and Rory was on a laptop, and... What it meant was that if I felt I was talking too much, I could point at Rory and say, you do the next question. And likewise, if he wanted to come in, he could indicate that. So I think actually it's been it's been not bad. And the as I say, you know, Jack from the podcast team said, you know, as long as we get the sound right, Mm. that's the most important thing. And, you know, I think sometimes both of us maybe go on a bit too long. But I think people do like that sense of you know, we're not constantly interrupting each other and we're trying not to talk over each other. The fact that you two are 
over Zoom means that you don't have to coordinate necessarily a time to be in the same place, which I think is a lot harder than just picking up your laptop mm. and doing it wherever on your microphone. And th- this happens, I think you were trying to go swimming and Rory was like, no, we need to do an emergency podcast. So for you, what constitutes an emergency podcast? Where's the bar for that? Oh, I think it's got to be pretty high. Um, <laughs> to stop you going swimming. No, I actually, I th- so like, for example, we're talking on the day that everybody is saying that Kwasi Kwarteng is going to get the bullet. Mm. I think that's probably pretty close to it, mm-hmm. you know, but, but then it will be a question of whether we're both around and available and, mm-hmm. and that's not always been, so a couple of times I think we've thought about doing them, it just hasn't been possible because we've been doing other stuff. But yeah, I think that would be, I think it would have to be of that kind of level. Would you prioritise the podcast now over other things? Yeah, it would depend what they were. Today, I'm, I'm actually working on a book at the moment and I'm trying to break the back of it at the moment. And I, and I gave myself yesterday and today as two days really to kind of, you know, crack on. But, you know, I guess the fact that I'm doing this means that, yeah, I would probably because this is part of promoting it and mm-hmm. talking about it and getting it better known. Yeah, I think if Quasi does get the boot today, I think we'd probably think it's worth doing something in the next 24 hours for sure. Well, you just mentioned that, you know, you know when to stop talking and to bring in other people. So this is the point I'm going to bring in Matt, (laughs) my (laughs) longtime pod pod contributor. Matt, over to you. Thank you, Rihanna. I mean, one of the appeals to me about the show is that you're really teaching people or reminding people how to have a conversation across the divide like that actually you can enjoy talking politics with people that have different views to you. I mean, you mentioned the Today programme earlier, which obviously has a very adversarial tone and rightly so. But does that feel like the reason for the podcast in a way that the rise of these political podcasts is partly to have a space, a safe space that you can have these conversations without having too many sort of distracting tangent but what about this? What about this kind of arguments going alongside? Do you feel that when you're making the show? Well, we get a lot of feedback from people who say that they do feel that we, amidst giving our opinions about what's going on in the world, that we do give an awful lot of information. We do inform people about issues. Take something like if you say the select committee chairman, I think actually taking half a minute to explain what a select committee is and how the chairman becomes the chairman and what their role is. I guess what I'm saying is we don't, we assume that the people who listen are interested and have a pretty intelligent because they, they're interested in, you know, interesting and difficult subjects. But at the same time, we try not to assume too much knowledge. Uh, and actually Rory's become almost Lewis Goodall-like and he's kind of, you know, keeps saying, for people who haven't been following this as closely as we do, this is the situation and this is what happened. And and we get good feedback on that. And I think the thing about having the conversation, I do think one of the reasons those that are coming to it are enjoying it is because the debate as we consume it in most of the media that we define as the media is so polarised. It's, you know, he's bad and if I disagree with him, that means I'm good. And if I'm good, he's bad. And it just goes round and round and round in circles. And we can have disagreements. We have an ongoing, never-ending disagreement about austerity. We disagree about other policies. We probably have slightly different views about things to do with you know, British traditions and all that sort of stuff. But you know, when, when it gets to talking about things like Yemen or you know, the Russian and Chinese influence in Africa and so forth. I think we're just trying to give an opinion, an assessment, but we're trying to pack it full of 
information that people aren't necessarily finding elsewhere. I suppose there's that thing about, you know, after Brexit, the way in which Christmases would be more difficult with certain family members and having to sort of finish conversations in a way which meant that you could still get on with each other for the rest of the holiday break was something that a lot of people would talk about, particularly around my generation. I wonder if, you know, just the format of the show where you have to, I mean, you have to see each other for every episode, so it can't get too rancorous. Is there like a bit of a a ripcord that you pull in your conversation? Are you aware or do you talk about like how far you can take something down a route before you go, actually, we just need to pull the, the conversation back onto something constructive and and uh, reasonable to move on to the, the next item? I think the only time we got to that was when it was during the Northern Ireland Protocol debates that we had when looking back, it did become very, very heated. And I think Rory was quite taken aback by how kind of angry I was. And I, I guess at that point, I wasn't, necessarily so angry with him so much as with the government and what they were doing at that time that's the only time i think we've got close to thinking oh hold on a minute that 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 really got a bit a bit over the top look i think that phrase it's actually a phrase from john burko you know if we're going to disagree let's try and disagree agreeably i think that's a very that's what we try to do that's what we try to do and if we overstep the mark i think you know, I think the production team are quite good at saying that feedback we get is that what people like about it is that you guys can disagree, but you don't kind of scream abuse at each other. I'm probably more prone to getting het up and hot-tempered than Rory. I think Rory actually is somebody who doesn't really enjoy kind of full-on confrontation, whereas I, I've always quite liked it. I think he's probably communicates in a way that he always has, whereas I on this communicate in a way that I'm sometimes conscious of trying to communicate in a different way than I would if I was in a six-minute debate on Newsnight with Nigel Farage. When you uh, started the podcast, did you have an exit strategy planned out or are you doing this long, long term? Because most podcasts that are successful are still going years later so is that something you're thinking about or is there like a replacement cast in mind can it outlive you and rory i think for both of us i think you know for rory it's definitely given him a kind of renewed political platform having been booted out of the conservative party by by johnson for me as well the other thing that's happened with it sometimes stuff just falls nicely like this before i started doing it i was already starting work on this book that i'm writing which is about the regeneration of political engagement. So it's kind of perfect for that as well. I think we just keep going while we both enjoy it. If, I mean, Rory's just taken on this pretty big full-time job. And one of the things he insisted when he took the job was he wanted to carry on doing the podcast and that would require a bit of time each week. So, you know, if I was suddenly offered the managership of Burnley Football Club, which is the only job that I would sort of give up my freedom for, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I could still find time to do the podcast. Yeah, you've got like have an audience now, like that you're custodians of, like they are kind of they've built you into their their time, and I think it's kind of interesting. Some podcasters, I think, when they suddenly get a success and it's a big success, they suddenly realise the responsibility they have in people's lives to kind of continue to make things which which are, which are helping to guide their audience. I think we both have the feeling that this has become really enjoyable for both of us, successful. And I think is playing a part in trying to get a different sort of debate going in the country. You know, I mean, t this morning the, we've put tickets on sale for this show at the Palladium. Sold out in seven minutes. Oh my goodness, that's in March. I know, it's mad. 
absolutely mad. Have you started thinking about how you will cover the next general election? Because you will still be going then, I imagine. Not really. I guess once we get nearer to and into an election campaign, depending upon what, you know, I mean, who knows whether either of us will be in any way involved directly and whether that would change things. I've never, ever hidden, I mean, I said it again on the podcast yesterday, I've never hidden my, despite being expelled by Labour, I'm 100% a Labour supporter and I want Labour to win the next election. I'm not going to hide that. Rory said on the latest podcast that he couldn't vote for Liz Truss's Tory party, but he doesn't yet know how he would vote. I hope even those who see me as 100% Labour, which I am, but, you know, within the Labour leadership, I think occasionally they get a bit antsy about some of the things I say. I don't feel I'm a propagandist in a way that maybe I was when I was a journalist, when I, 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 t- <laughs> I tended to avoid saying anything that was bad for the Labour Party. I think I've got a more open mind about stuff, but I try to do it in a... Well, I, think, I, I guess what I'm saying is I think with the Tories, in particular Johnson and now Truss, I'm very much, these are bad people, this is a terrible government, they've got to go. With Labour, I see myself much more as a critical friend. And I think that's how I'd be in an election campaign. You and Rory have been really open about the importance of mental health and you've been particularly open about your struggle with depression. In terms of recording and, you know, the topics that you're covering day in, day out can presumably add to that. So how do you prioritise your mental health when your podcast is kind of always needing to be done? Well, funny enough, that time that I was in Edinburgh when the Wi-Fi wasn't good, we hadn't planned to talk about it, I don't think. But Rory kicked off with one of his little sort of, you know, how are you today? And one of my sort of things I campaign on in mental health is that if you ask how are you, you should mean it and you should give honest answers. <laughs> and so I basically said, well, I'm actually not very good at the moment. I'm in a bit of a bit of a downward spiral. And we ended up talking about it and he was very sympathetic and, and we had amazing feedback from that. So, and, and I, I do think that the old thing about it is good to talk. I think sometimes when I am in a bit of a downward phase, forcing myself to do stuff that's in the diary because it's the diary, even if I don't do it 100% to my own satisfaction, it's good to do. And um, so I remember actually, even though I, I stayed in the depression after that, I do remember feeling quite good that I'd done the podcast and we'd got through it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's, Look, it's in there. We've got we've got the times for the next several weeks. I know when we're going to record. I know where I'm. I know roughly where I'm going to be. Um, we've got a couple of quite big interviews lined up in the next few weeks. I know. I know when I'm going to prepare for them. So I just I just kind of I think I think on balance, the whole thing's been good for my mental health. Probably. How do you choose your podcast? guests because as you say you've, you've had kind of a real interesting mix so if you've kind of got them coming up they're not necessarily always spontaneous what's happening in the news right now so no. how have you been deciding that is that just between you and Rory or is it the whole production team I mean I actually don't think we should be doing the people who are in the news I think if somebody's doing interviews left right and centre we should probably avoid them Tony Blair seemed a pretty obvious one we had a lot of people saying we'd love it if you interviewed Tony Blair Keir Starmer was an obvious one um, William Hague actually was um, that that came because I kept saying to Rory, you know, I can't just keep pulling in these guests on myself. Could you get a Tory, please? <laughs> um, so and William Hague, that was I thought that was a really good interview. Then Eddie Rama, a bit left field, but you know, our first serving prime minister. 
And I think at the moment we're focusing very much on what I would call A-list politicians. But I think we are going to broaden it out. I think we're going to broaden it out into, um, particularly now with the period we're going in, going into, you know, getting somebody on who's a, a, an economist rather than a politician. Because, you know, neither Rory I, nor I are economists, but we sort of sit here and talk knowingly about, you know, GDP debt ratios and the gilt markets and blah de blah de blah um, So actually we might broaden out into something like that. But yeah, generally we just sort of ping ideas around and then we, you know, we, we approach them. So our next two are uh, a former president of France and a former prime minister of Australia. Okay. Um, who, you know, I just happen to know and like and get on with and wheel them in. You often kind of hear that celebrities shouldn't be discussing politics. You know, a lot of people, that's a lot of feedback often from audiences. What's your take on that? You know, would you be up for somebody like Gary Lineker coming on your podcasting as it's kind of under his production company? Yeah, well, Gary Lineker would be restricted because of his BBC uh, position. I know Gary really well and he's a good friend of mine. And uh, I think he'd he'd find it very limiting. Mm -hmm. But I'd definitely have Gary Neville. Yeah. Who was on the news agents recently? And was also at the Labour Party conference. Yeah. Speaking with, with Keir Starmer. Yeah, and I think I'd have people in sport, for example. I mean, Rory's not very interested in sport, which is a bit of a problem. <laughs> but, I would, but I would have people in sport, you know, to talk about leadership. I remember when yeah. Jürgen Klopp, for example, when he said something a while back, he said, I, just, I love this country, but I don't understand how you keep putting people like Farage and Johnson in positions of power. I'd love to talk to him about that mm. and about how he relates his own upbringing and character to his own leadership. And so I don't think I'd have to, I think we could definitely broaden out. And of course, I, you know, I also do interviews for Men's Health and I write for the New European and I've done, you know, for years I was interviewing for GQ. Um, I like interviewing. I like conversational interviews. I like doing interviews without a set agenda and just going on and and talking. I did one recently with Eddie Jones, the, the England rugby coach, and he's definitely somebody I'd love to get on the podcast at a later date. I can't believe Burnley haven't got you to do a podcast for them yet. I did their, um, I did, I, I presented their film of our, of our journey in Europe. That's as close as you've got. <laughs> Let's petition for the next, for the new Burnley podcast. I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say, I can't believe Burnley haven't left you the manager's job. But yeah, and I agree with that. <laughs> Alistair Campbell, thank you so much for joining us on PodPod. My pleasure. My pleasure. So that was our chat with Alistair Campbell. And I think one of the most interesting things, well, the bit that I really enjoyed actually was us asking him about the emergency episode and about whether or not Quateng being sacked would merit one. As we were talking, Quateng was indeed sacked. And I am so gutted about that missed opportunity (laughs) that we didn't realise that because that would have been such a great little chat there and then. But anyway. I mean, you take your eye off the ball for 30 (laughs) seconds in politics. You do one hour long record and then everything happens while you're off. I mean... Fortunately, or unfortunately, I suppose, as we're all consummate professionals, everyone had their notifications switched off. (laughs) So it was only after we wrapped the recording and started checking Twitter and whatnot again that everyone was like, oh, wow. Absolutely wild. And then since then, one suspects there will be another Mm -hmm. emergency podcast before the end of the week. I, I mean... They have to, right? They have to. Definitely. So definitely yeah, keep absolutely. an eye on the feed because I'd be very interested to see what Rory Stewart 
mix of what's been going on this week. But then at this point, and we did sort of touch on it during the discussion, there is enough happening at the moment to put out an episode on a virtually hourly basis. Indeed. And that is, to a certain extent, the peril of podcasting. And I do think, Mm. to a certain extent, with podcasts, you know, we are a little bit like magazines more than we are websites. We can't react Mm. that quickly. We Mm. can't turn things around and update minute by minute. So we have to be reflective. Mm. Uh, We have to be not evergreen necessarily, but certainly contemplative about the news that we cover so that we don't end up throwing things out um, too often or too regularly that people can't consume them. Uh, we're not the radio and nor should mm. we. I think we're we're two very different mediums and that's why this week was a good week to tune into the Today programme. <laughs> that's a really good point. But also I guess people also look to social media accounts, right, of podcast presenters and producers mm. if they want that minute by minute update because... I, I don't know about you, but, you know, I'm interested in what Sopal and Mateless and Sophos and Campbell are saying mm. about that. And I don't necessarily need a 45 minute podcast to tell me a blow by blow account because we can save that for the Tuesdays and the Thursdays that their podcasts do come out. But yeah, I think that mm. maybe that is the power. Maybe we need to do um, an episode on social media and podcasting. I think that would be quite an interesting one. Well, it's all fantastic advertising for those shows. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Matt and Adam. Now, everybody who's listening, please do follow us on social media at PodPod Official just to hear all of our immediate thoughts and commentary on what's happening day to day with PodPod. You can peruse our new website, podpod.com, as Adam mentioned at the top. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe. Thank you once more to Matt Hill and Adam Shepard. PodPod is produced by Emma Corsham for Haymarket Business Media. Next week, we'll be joined by the team behind Spotify Original Decode. Very, very exciting and interesting chat with some very, very charming men. Uh, My name is Rihanna Dillon. I've been your host. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 